Well, if you open your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to be in the book of Mark. And it is time for kids to be dismissed to Children's Church. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate Brandon. He is not bashful to t- read the sign and go. Rest of us, Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to begin this morning. Thinking about the music team, one of the songs that we do not sing as a congregation is a song that I sang this is uh, the song called, I've Got the Joy, 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 Joy Down in My Heart. Okay, how many of you know that song? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Okay, the second line says, I've got the peace that passes understanding way down in the depths of my heart. Right? It gets really fast. Way down the depths of my heart. Where? Way down the depths of my heart. Where? Way down the depths of my heart. I've got the peace that passes understanding way down the depths of my heart. Okay? Then the last one says what? How many of you know the last one? I've got the wonderful love of the blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Okay? Now, I was working on it this morning. I'm thinking, these are like verbal exercises. The wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart, right? And trying to sing that fast as kids, a fun song, right? But as we think about the, what that song is teaching us, it's incredible truths that as believers that we should be people that have joy. The joy of the Lord that goes deep into our hearts. That we should be a people that have the peace of God that's deep in our hearts. And this joy and peace are actually fruit of our lives that are rooted because we have the wonderful love of the blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. That what has happened to us as believers, it's what's been uprooted through salvation, is this, I have this wonderful love of my blessed self way down in the depths of my heart, has been uprooted by a greater love, a love of the Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart that changes everything. And I want us to see that this morning because as we think that, recognize that joy is to be a part of our lives, we see this idea of joy. And I wanted to see this because as we begin our passage this morning, our passage in a context is talking about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following Jesus, being unashamed followers. And and those two truths, oftentimes, we can feel like they're at odds at one another. Because over here, denying myself, taking up my cross, following Jesus, that's hard. That's a burden. It's like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm going hard at it. And over here, I've got this joy. But Jesus is saying these things aren't mutually exclusive. That when we're denying ourselves, we're denying ourselves because... We have joy, that we deny ourselves because we know that his way brings us peace. And we do both of those because we love our Messiah. And so this morning, as we look at Mark chapter 9, the context sets up what's going to happen. And so right before this, Jesus has been teaching his disciples about about the fact that he's going to die and raise again and they're like peter rebukes jesus for that and peter jesus says to peter get behind me satan and then jesus talks more about his death and resurrection and he says that we have to deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him and then the question if we're reading carefully and thinking it says man that's a big call why would i do that and then Jesus then, and Mark is unfolding his gospel. He, we're going to look in verses 2 through 13 and see several reasons why we should deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and live as unashamed disciples. And so let us look at our text together. It says this, 
chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him, to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written, written of him. Well, from this passage, we're going to see uh, several things that are going to help us to understand why is it and what is this passage teaching us about why we should deny ourselves, take up our cross, and live as unashamed disciples. Well, the first reason we see is in verses 2 and 3. After six days, after what previously been going on, Jesus takes the disciples up to a high mountain. Okay, they go up, and we'll talk about the mountain in a minute, but they go up there by themselves, and it's just Peter, James, and John. Okay, these are Jesus' inner circle. They're the three that back a few chapters ago in Mark, we saw that he took into this room where there was a girl who had died. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he told this girl, he called her by name, and raised her from the dead. So these three have seen some fantastic things in this inner circle, and they're having additional insights that some of the other disciples aren't getting. And so they go with Jesus up on this mountain, and as he was with them, it says at the end of verse 2, he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, so that as no one on earth could bleach them. And this idea of transfigured is, is the same word that we see in Romans 12, 2. Okay, we're memorizing that, right? Remember what that says? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is God's, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, but that idea, be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And as, as many of you are aware that that word is translated into English as metamorphosis, right? When we think of metamorphosis, what comes to mind? That's right, this ugly caterpillar, right, that's just slonking along up a plant, right, and eating it, chomp, 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 chomp. And you see then also this butterfly, this, this beautiful butterfly that's like, I mean, it just, it, 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 it daintily flutters in the wind, and it's absolutely beautiful. And you look at these two, and you're thinking, there's no way that came from that. I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's fat, and it's just, it's, 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 it's just weird, right? This caterpillar, and, and then you see this butterfly, and it's so beautiful. It's like, no way. But how did it happen? By metamorphosis, this transformation. And in front of Peter, James, and John, Jesus is metamorphosized. 
He is transformed. He's transfigured. And what they see is Jesus shining like a bright light. They see his clothes wider than anything. And the word it uses there, he became radiant. And we think of radiant, it means that there's something shining from him. And as we think big picture and theologically what is going on in this is that what's happening is Jesus is the eternal son of God who dwells in, in infinite light and glory, has taken on flesh. He's taken on skin. He's became a man. And by doing that, his veil, his glory is veiled. His flesh, in many ways, is like a veil. And on this mountain, it's as though, as though God raises that veil a little bit. He says, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what Jesus is really like. And they raise the blinds, and they're able to see the glory of Jesus shining brightly. And we see this glory of God as light. We see it not only here. We see it in a couple other significant places in the Bible. Um, one of them we see is at Revelation 22. Turn there with me. All the way to the end of your Bible. Okay, before all the indexes and all that. If you don't have a pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible close to you. Use one of those. This is on page 1041 in the pew Bible. Revelation 22, and we see this idea, Jesus here in Mark 9 radiating. Okay, he's white, light is coming from Jesus. And in Revelation 22, this is sin has been dealt with, sin has been punished, there's a lake of fire, God's created a new heaven and a new earth, and we're getting a glimpse of what things are going to be like in the new heaven and new earth here in chapter 22. And it says this in verse 1, Then... The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, and its, tw and its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of the glory and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And here's a verse. And they, that's the believers, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, in verse 5, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or light or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And what this is telling us is in eternity we don't need the sun. Okay, why don't we need the sun in eternity? Why did this say? What's the light? God is the light. Okay, God is light, radiating. In Mark, 2, Mark 9, what do we see? Jesus radiating, this glory of God radiating. One other place we see this in the scripture, and there are a few others, is all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, in Genesis chapter 1, the sun is created on day 4. Okay? But on day one, Jesus, the God, the Father says, let there be light. And what happens? What's it say? Let there be light. And there was light. So if you're reading your Bible carefully, you're like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Day one, there's light, but the sun doesn't show up till day four. What's the light in day one? And people, critics of the Bible would say, see, this Bible's ridiculous. I'm not even one page into it. And there's this contradiction about the sun doesn't come until day day four and we have light how's that all work now our answer to that should be hey hey don't criticize just keep reading right as you keep reading and you keep reading you get to the end of the story which by what a good movie does what it introduces things at the beginning and when do you find out how it all fits together at the end of it that's how the bible's written 
And so in day one, what was the light on day one? We get to the end of the Bible and we see we don't need a sun anymore because what's the light? God's the light. So on day one, before the sun's created, what's the light in creation? It's the glory of God. It's as though God says, let there be light. And he says, let my glory shine upon this creation. And then this, the, this glory shines. And then finally on day four, he makes the sun. We would say all that because Jesus is transformed. And this transformation of Jesus is communicating to these disciples that Jesus is something far different than they expect. He's way more than people just like them. He's way more than caterpillars like them. He has a, he's a glory that's far beyond us. And we see this as a reason why is it that we should deny ourselves because Jesus has glory that shines brightly. It shines brightly, and, and, and his disciples saw that. And we may say, well, I would love to see that glory. Well, there's a level that one day, if you're a believer, you will see it. You say, but what about now? That's a great question. Glad you asked. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because we think about this glory of Jesus. If I'm not seeing it, why should it motivate me to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus as an unashamed disciple? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is on page 965. And Paul's talking in this about his ministry of preaching the word of God. And as he's talking about that, he, he talks about this glory of God. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he says this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. We're not proclaiming a gospel. It's not Paul's gospel. It's not Peter's gospel. It's not Timothy's gospel. It's, Jesus, it's the gospel of God. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, God said that, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What's he saying? Read it again. The verse in uh, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's the creator God, what has he shown into our hearts? He has shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And we think, but I don't see the face of Jesus. How does this glory shine? This glory shines in us as we read the word of God, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. God opens our eyes and our hearts that from the darkness brings us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and he transforms us. So when we read the Bible, whenever we see this, the Holy Spirit turns the lights on and illumines this book for us. And we begin to read it, and in this we see the glory of God. We see the glory of Jesus in the pages of Scripture. And the thing is that we recognize that one day that we will see this, but right now we see the glory of Jesus by faith. We see it by faith. I believe this truth, and as I believe it, God's light shines. And which is a beautiful thing because in the book of, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, we read about God's word in Psalm 119. His word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. This word is light. It's a light of the glory of Christ. And I would encourage you that if you, we need to be reading and reading and reading this book. I'm, I'm burdened as I read statistics about the church and Bible reading, and it's dismal. 
And I pray that's not, that's not true of us. I pray that we would be a Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching, Bible-obeying, Bible-practicing church, but I also pray that we would be a Bible-reading church, that we are a people who are immersing ourselves in the Word of God because we know this is how we see the glory of Christ. This is how we see the beauty of Jesus. And as we see the beauty of Jesus and the glory of God, that it begins to transform our lives. And that we are transformed as a metamorphosis that continues to take place in our lives. And so we no longer look like our old caterpillar selves, but that we look like the image of Jesus. That he transforms us. And he transforms us by his word. And so I want to encourage you. Listen, if you're not consistently reading your Bible, let me just give you a goal. I want to encourage you, read your Bible four days a week, one chapter a day. Just set that goal. It's an easy goal to get. You miss it today, you say, well, I'm not sure I'm going to have time today. Guess what? You've got plenty of other days. I would love for you to read the Bible every day, but sometimes I set a goal if I'm going to read it every day. Monday morning comes up, I hit the snooze, and I get up late, and then I've got a million things going on at night. I sit down to read my Bible before I go to bed, and what do I do? Fall asleep. Darn it, I missed day one failed already. There's no way I'm going to read seven days, so I give up the goal. Let's say four days a week, so Monday you fall asleep. Guess what, what, guess what you have next? You've got Tuesday, right? And you can achieve that. But I want to encourage you. Be, we need to be people of God's Word. We need to be disciplining ourselves to be seeing this light of glory. And why is this? Because if we're going to be unashamed disciples who deny ourselves, it must be because we are seeing the glory of Christ and we're seeing the glory of Christ in the Word of God, and we're seeing that by faith. And we ask ourselves, is this light shining in my life? Is the light of God's truth shining in my life? Well, back to Mark chapter 9. As Jesus is transfigured, it goes on then, it says in chapter 9, verse 4, and there appeared to, and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Okay, now, this would be a rather stunning occurrence. Okay? Elijah has been dead about 800 years. Moses has been dead about 1,200 years. Okay? And they're standing on this mountain talking to Jesus. Right? This is some pretty unique stuff going on here. Jesus is shining like a light. You've got these two dead guys that have risen from the dead. They're talking with Jesus. I'm like, what is this all about? And as we would understand this, that these two individuals, both of them are surrounded. Their deaths are kind of mysterious. Um, Elijah, he was taken up in a chariot of fire. He didn't die. God raptured him with a chariot of fire. Moses, it said he died on this mountain, but nobody knew where his body was. And there are these things in the Bible that talk about this mysterious Satan arguing about the body of Jesus. It's like, that's kind of weird. But these two guys are on the mountain with Jesus. And Moses and Elijah represent the whole, everything in the Bible that leads up to Jesus. Moses represents the law. He, he represents the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, Israel coming out of Egypt. He represents all of this law that this is how you, this is how, what it looks like to obey God, this law. And on the other guy, Elijah, he represents all the prophets. All the prophets who spoke of the coming judgment, but also this deliverance of God. And we have these two guys, one representing the law that we are to obey, and the other representing this deliverance and prophetic voice of also this judgment that's coming, and both of those, and these guys are talking to Jesus on the mountain. And as we see this happening, we recognize that Jesus' ministry is connected historically. The ministry of Jesus doesn't just begin in Matthew chapter 1. 
it's connected to all the way back to Genesis 1 and actually to back to eternity past in the mind of God when he was going to unfold all this. So we see it connects historically. Now, one of the things we had questioned as I'm studying this week, it says, and they were talking with Jesus. And we're not told what they're talking about. And you wonder, what were they talking about? Now, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. I'll tell you my, the Steve Wicker sanctified imagination, what I think is going on here, right? And now, could be true, might not be, but I'm, I'm going to build my case and see what you think, all right? So, Jesus has just talked about he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to be raised, risen from the dead. What's Peter think of that? Bad idea, Jesus. You are not going to the cross. And he rebukes Jesus for that. And Jesus turns around and says to Peter, what? Get behind me, Satan. What's going on with that? Well, we looked last week that, that the words of Peter are a temptation to Jesus, saying to Jesus, hey, you don't have to go to the cross. There's an easier way. There's a different way. You can obey your will and not the will of the Father. And so we see this, Jesus, time of temptation. And so Moses and Elijah show up talking to Jesus. Now, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and 12. Hebrews 11 and 12. Okay, so whether or not this is a conversation they had, in some way is irrelevant, but the conversation, what is, we're seeing in this passage matters to us. Okay, so what's going on? So Hebrews 11 is called, what, what is it? It's the hall of what? Faith. Throughout this book, Hebrews chapter 11, it's by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All these people living by faith. Same faith we're called to live by. The same faith that we're called to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, that we live by faith. So, in Hebrews 11, he's given to all these people that live by faith. And I would contend that that's what Moses and Elijah are charging Jesus. Jesus, keep on the path. Keep pressing on. Now, let me be let's look, begin in chapter 11, verse 32. And so he goes through all these different individuals, and he's going, and he's like, man, there's so many more people that I could talk about. And he begins in verse 32 saying, What more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, there's our phrase again, through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead from resurrection. And we pause there. And all of those are like, praise God, that's what I want. Living by faith, all those things, that's what I'm hungry and thirsty for. So live by faith. But it doesn't stop there. Because he goes on and says, some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, um, who, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had promised something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. You see echoing here that the writer of Hebrews is saying, live by faith. 
great things can happen. But even if great things don't happen, it's right. And it's good because you're honoring God. And so Jesus heading to the cross, okay, how's that fit? Now look in verse 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a great a cloud of witnesses that are doing what? That are saying, live by faith, live by faith. It's worth it. Whether you conquer kingdoms or get killed in a, it killed in a dungeon, it makes no difference. It is worth living for God because of all that he's done for us. He says, therefore, since these great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings closely to us. And here it is. And let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. I'm wondering if that's what this conversation was about. Jesus, keep running. Keep running. This battle of the flesh is hard. We've been there. We know this. It's hard. It's tough. But it's worth it. Keep running. Keep running. Keep running. And in his humanity, Jesus is fully human. We see him at the end of his life in the garden praying, not my will, but your will, this battle going on that these Moses and Elijah possibly say in Jesus, keep running. The thing that he would say to us, they would say to us, keep running. Keep living by faith. Be willing to deny yourself. Take up your cross and live as an unashamed disciple because it doesn't matter what happens. It's worth it. And he would call us to this. And as we understand this, that Jesus is the fullness of all of this, that his ministry connects us historically, and that we would then live as unashamed disciples because we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this, that he is the capstone, and as he runs this race, he sets a pace for us. Because in Hebrews 12, look at how it continues. I turned my page, but in verse 2, it says a wonderful, wonderful thing. In Hebrews chapter 12, are you still there? Okay, I switched. All right, I was ahead of you. Okay, 12. Now, look what it says in verse 2. He says, run with endurance the race set before us. And now to us, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we continue to run this race, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, living as unashamed disciples, that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who set the pace for us, that he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? Because there was something better. There's joy set before him, joy set before us as we follow Jesus. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Well, back to our passage in Mark 9. In Mark 9, we get to... Verse 5, so Peter, James, and John seeing Jesus transfigured, Moses and Elijah up there, they see them talking, and uh, Peter speaks up, which he always seems to do, and he says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And we're thinking, why does Peter want to build tents? Well, it could be they're on top of a mountain. They're seeing the glory of God that they're thinking back to Exodus in a book of Exodus when Moses would go up on the mountain and then they made the, built this tent of meeting where God would then come and dwell with his people. So it, that might be it. But we're really actually not told because it just goes on and says, verse 6, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. So whatever conclusion we come up with, like, I don't know what it is, Peter was just freaking out because it's all scary and all this and he just was talking. 
So we see this, and Peter is desiring that. But then in verse 7, it says, And a cloud overshadowed them. Again, pointing us back to Exodus on the mountain. The cloud comes down with Moses on the mountain. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. What are we called to do? To listen to Jesus. And as we see this, ministry of Jesus is shining brightly, connected historically. We also see in this word, listen to him, that we realize that Jesus has authority that extends eternally. Why? This is my beloved son. Who is saying this is my beloved son? The eternal father. And an eternal father has what kind of son? An eternal son. The Father's eternal, the Son's eternal, the Spirit's eternal. And this authority that, Je- that the Father has, Jesus has, because He's God. And this authority extends to today. And so as it extends today, what we are called to do is to listen to Him. Listen to Jesus. He's our authority. And why do we need to be hearing Him say this? We need to hear Him saying this because we often want to be our own authority. That, that listen... If we're going to be unashamed disciples who deny ourselves, we have to listen to the words of Jesus. But how often do we prefer to listen to our own selves? Listen, I I just want what I want. I know what God says, but I know that this is right, but for me, this I'm not going to do that. I know that seems wrong and it may say it in the Bible, but but I don't think that really applies anymore. And we turn things all upside down because we don't want to listen to the voice of Jesus. We want to be our own authority. And we see this in a thousand different ways in our lives. Whether it comes to immorality, whether it comes to lying or stealing, whether it comes to communication, solving problems, all those different areas, we just want to do what we want to do. I'm going to handle this problem my way. I'm going to respond to it the way that I think is best. I'm going to love whoever I want to love. I don't care what anybody says. Right? We have all these ideas and mixed up signals in our, in our culture. And Jesus is saying he is our authority and we have responsibility to listen to him. Because see, the challenge is we face the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. What did, what did Satan tempt Eve with? He said, if you eat of the fruit, you will surely not die. If you eat it, you will be like God. What caused Satan's fall? We're told in the book of Isaiah that he said, I will, I will, I will ascend to the throne. I will do, I will be like the Most High. See, what, what goes on with us when we want to be the authority? I just want to be God. And we think, well, I'm not really saying that. No, but you want to determine what's right and wrong. You want to determine what the boundaries of your life are. You want to determine how you live your life. So you say, well, I, I, I don't want to be God. Well, that's what we really do. We want to be in charge. I want to be my own authority. And when God's word pushes against us, that that's when am I going to live by faith and open my eyes and live according to him? Or am I going to do things my way? How am I going to respond to the authority of Jesus, especially whenever I want to do something different, when it says that I need to deny myself? I don't want to deny myself. I want to live out the fullness of myself. 
And we see this idea that Jesus calls us to listen to his words. In John chapter 10, the Bible tells us that Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You know, oftentimes we want to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, but we're doing our own thing. We're not following him at all. And guess what? If we're not following him, we're not his sheep. Now, that doesn't mean that we never stray. That doesn't mean that we never uh, step into sin and repent. But if the pattern of my life is one where I'm living my life and following my own desires, following my own heart, and I'm not following Jesus, then you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. Listen, it's very simple. You're not a follower of Jesus if you're not following Jesus. That seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? But what does it mean to follow Jesus? That we listen to his words. And so we see the disciples being confronted with this, that we are going to live for Jesus. If we're going to deny ourselves and live as unashamed disciples, that we must understand that his authority extends eternally and that we would listen to his word. Well, back to our passage. It goes on there in verse 9. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead might mean. And so they're coming down. Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody about this until after I've risen from the dead. They don't yet fully understand what rising from the dead means. But what do they do in response to Jesus saying that? It says in verse 10, so they kept the matter to themselves. They did what Jesus told them to do. Which is interesting because so often other places Jesus says to people, don't tell anybody, and they go tell everybody. They, they didn't. They obeyed Jesus here, which is an important truth that we realize is that Jesus has purposes that unfold progressively. And, and what we mean by that is that unashamed disciples, that we obey Jesus even when we don't completely understand. That we obey Jesus even when we don't completely understand. When Jesus is talking about resurrection, they don't even understand how he's going to die and how that all fits. And they're told to keep this to themselves, and they do. Why this, I think, is very important is because, well, I'll ask, I'll ask the question. Do you ever wrestle with understanding what God's doing and what he wants? Well, often we do. When we look at maybe a loss in our family, we look at a time, time of transition in our lives of, finishing high school, finishing college, maybe getting married, and all of these uncertain things ahead of us, health problems that are going on and on, and you've prayed that God would take them away, and it's just lingering and lingering. And you have other kinds of strat- struggles going on, and you're like, I just don't get this. What is God doing? We don't understand it. And oftentimes, because we don't understand, we're like, well, I'm not going to obey God until I understand. I'm not going to do what he says until I fully understand. And this, this passage is turning this around. He's saying, listen, you don't understand all this, but obey me. Because as we recognize, really what the Bible actually would teach us is that, that we don't grow in our understanding so that we obey. It actually turns it around. We obey so that we'll understand. And we always say this, is that obedience and understanding are, aren't, they're two separate things. But in the Bible, understanding and, uh, as we have this understanding, obedience, they work together, but obedience takes the lead. 
And we need to understand that, that obedience takes the lead. As I want to understand more of God's truth, if I want to understand more of this, obedience is what opens the door and turns the lights on brighter for us. And so obedience is critical to this. And if we're going to deny Jesus, if we're going to take up our crosses, if we're going to follow him, that we've got to obey him even when we don't understand. That we may be walking through dark waters and dark times and don't understand all that God's doing. The charge to us is keep following. He knows where he's going. He knows where he's taking us. And we can trust him. Well, as we look at the last section of this passage, it says in verse 11, they keep this matter to themselves, so they ask him another question. They said, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said, Elijah does come first and restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did do him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. As we understand this, that Jesus, I mean, Jesus shines brightly in this. His ministry connects historically. His authority extends eternally. His purposes unfold, can, his, um, unfold progressively. And here we understand that Jesus' insights continually give clarification. The disciples have a question. Jesus answers their question. He gives them insight. And his question, he says, is, I thought Elijah was supposed to come first. And he says, well, he has. And he actually is pointing to the fact that John the Baptist was this forerunner who comes in the form of Elijah to fulfill these promises that were spoken of in the book of Elijah. And through this, they promise that Jesus is going to have suffering and Elijah suffered. And what we recognize in this is this, that unashamed disciples deny themselves because we trust that God, we trust all that God has written. These Old Testament passages in Malachi, we won't take time to look at them. It talked about Elijah. They were all fulfilled in Jesus. And he says the stuff that has been written is going to be fulfilled, and we can trust this. And so as we look at this passage that begins with deny yourself, take up your cross, live as an unashamed disciple, as we hear that, we need to recognize that we do that because Jesus is the glory of God. He is the Father. He is one with the Father. That his ministry connects us historically. His authority extends eternally. His, progr- his purposes unfold progressively and his insights clarify continually. As we understand these truths, the question is, do you believe them? And our belief is fleshed out in our actions. And what does this get us? It's okay, I deny myself, take up my cross, follow Jesus. What does it get me? Well, I don't know all that it's going to get you, but one thing that God's Word says, if we obey Him, that He begins to develop in us fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Things like joy, 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 down in my heart. What does He do as I obey and walk faithfully with God? What does He give me? This peace that passes understanding. Where is it? It's way down deep in the depths of my heart. Why is it there? It's because I'm trusting Him. I'm following Him. Why is it that I'll deny myself and take up my cross? Is because this love of self, that I'll deny myself because this love of self has been rooted out of my heart by the wonderful love of the blessed Redeemer who's weighed down in the depths of my heart. That's what changes all this. Why will I deny myself? Because I see the beauty of Jesus. I understand the reality and all that he has done in my life. 
And I would ask you the question this morning, is the work of Jesus a reality in your life? Have you been born again? Have you been met as metamorphosis taken place in your life from being dead in your sin to alive in Jesus? To being living from living for yourself to living for God? Is that taking place? And maybe a, maybe a better question is, what's the evidence for it? Is there evidence? You say, I'm not sure about the evidence. I would encourage you to spend time, God, talking to God. God, help me to understand my heart. God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Help me to know the fullness of salvation that you want me to have. Help me to see you more clearly. Help me to see the glory in the word of God. Help me to obey you and to walk faithfully with you. That we would spend time talking to God about these things. Listen, these fruits that God wants to give us of joy and peace way down in the depths of our heart come only as we submit and surrender ourselves to Jesus. That when we do that, we find him as this steady anchor for our soul. This steady anchor that we are going to never, ever, ever deny Jesus. I am not going to be ashamed. Whatever our culture says and however shameful they may think about me being a follower of Jesus and living according to truth, I am not going to be ashamed. I am going to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. Why? Because his truth is an anchor to my soul, and I know that he is going to keep me. He is going to keep me safe, even if that safety comes through my death, my humiliation, mockings, whatever it may come. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to lay aside sins that would encumber me and set my focus on him for the joy set before me and follow Jesus. And that would be our hope this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song about Jesus being the sure and steady anchor. But before, let's pray together and let's talk to God about this before we go. Father, I pray you would help us, Lord, that we would look in this passage and we see multiple reasons to deny ourselves. Lord, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to live as unashamed disciples. And God, that we would do this because we know that you are our firm and steady anchor, that you give us every reason to deny ourselves. And so God, help us in a, in a very practical way this week to be applying these truths, living not for ourselves, but for you. But for you, the wonderful love of our blessed Redeemer that's way down deep in the depths of our hearts. It is in his name we pray. Amen.